This week on Medical Minefield, endocrinologist Professor Anise Mukherjee. There is a suggestion from some of the studies that those women with a much higher risk of future dementia, in particular those carrying certain genetic predispositions, certain genes, there may be a role for HRT in those women. And menopause expert Dr Naomi Potter. We do not know for sure. We cannot say that HRT protects from dementia. We can't say that. That is not a clinical indication. You know, it's not one of the reasons why we would say you should have HRT. But the the vast majority of women will experience symptoms. About 87, 88% of women will experience significant menopausal symptoms. And so we discussed with patients, you know, HRT may well help with your symptoms. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're asking what is the truth about the links between HRT and dementia? As always, we're very keen to hear from you. So if you've got a question or a comment for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. So Eve, the reason we're talking about HRT again is because a couple of weeks back, there was a big study that was put out and made headlines around the world, a Danish study that found that women who took HRT were 24% more likely to develop dementia. Yes, the figures in that study were very confusing. We spent a long time trying to make sense of them, but but the bottom line is 24% reduction in risk. No, 24% increase in risk. Sorry, 24% increase in risk. Okay. Yes, maths has never been our strong suit. Although you have a statistics qualification, Eve. Yep, it was all luck. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, our statistical backgrounds aside, Mm -hmm. it was an interesting study, wasn't it? Because, you know, HRT, big news, made the headlines. Actually, it's going to give you dementia. Lots of people took to social media after that to warn that this might not be all it seemed. It was a big observational study. And explain to me what you think of observational studies. I think that they definitely have value, but it is important to bear in mind their limits and what they can tell us because it's just looking at two factors and a large group of people and trying to draw links and patterns um, to potentially observe links between two things. Someone once explained it to me that you take two groups of people, say 100,000 people, and uh, you know you, you look at their, their medical records and then you find out a higher proportion of a group. One of the groups developed, say, lung mm-hmm. cancer. And then you see that in your analysis that a very large proportion of that group or a, lo- a slightly larger, let's say a slightly larger of, of mm-hmm. that proportion of that group wore red socks. Mm. And therefore, you could think, are the two linked? Mm. The wearing of red socks and lung cancer, of course, we know that's not the case. But, you know, it could appear that way Mm. because these studies can throw up these links. But they don't show that one thing causes another. What we really can't say is Mm. for sure by seeing those two figures side by side that the red socks cause lung cancer. So there you go. And are they the same? It was observational studies that have shown previously that taking HRT can reduce the risk of dementia because that was in Davina McCall's famous documentary 
she met a professor who who explained to her that there's this link between HRT and dementia and we've seen that women who take it can protect themselves from it. Yes. So, I mean, with, with these long-term health outcomes, so when, when a drug is tested out, they might look at people for five years over mm. the course of taking a drug. And, you know, in, in the case of things like statins, for instance, they've done 20-year follow-ups on the original groups so people see what, what, what's happened right. to them, how many of them have died, etc. But, you know, for much longer-term outcomes like the developing of dementia, generally clinical trials aren't set up to test those so the only way that you will see these kinds of things is in observational studies Mm -hmm. when they get the health records of large groups of people and retrospectively look at things that they have done in the past and things they may have in common but these are notoriously not great forms of evidence to show specifically whether a drug has an effect I mean people always bring up the fact that we learned that smoking causes lung cancer bringing lung cancer back again because of observational studies Mm. however the reason that that was clear was because there was such a huge effect so you would get almost vast numbers more people with lung cancer in the smoking group compared to the virtually no people in the non-smoker group developing lung cancer and over a 20 year period. And that's been corroborated with more like microbiological evidence as well, hasn't it? Well, they had all of that evidence for a very long time, but mm. the real stark illustration were these observational studies mm. that showed groups of people who smoked were really really highly likely to develop lung cancer and other diseases and that people who didn't smoke were really really had very low levels Mm. so it was that big difference but for something like dementia which is incredibly common in the population as it is Mm. working out whether or not that's going to be due to something else that's taken by a lot of people it's really tricky interestingly the Davina study that you mentioned Mm. one of the things that they looked at well they looked at an older cohort of people a group of people who took HRT in the past at a time when HRT wasn't given to people who had any risk factors for heart disease because there used to be fears that HRT could increase heart risks it's not true but it used to be feared that that was the case and so they didn't give it to any women who had cardiovascular disease risks and so Mm -hmm. these people in that group who had a very low level of dementia so it looked like women who were given HRT were vastly less likely to develop dementia were also women who had no cardiovascular disease risks Mm. and we know those cardiovascular disease risks are something that dramatically increases the risk of dementia. So they were healthier anyway. They, they were healthier anyway. Yeah, interesting. So with these observational studies, it's it's really important to take them with a heavy pinch of salt, I mm. think. But that 24% increased risk is quite a lot. So you would think that there is something going on there. It does sound like that, doesn't it? Because it's, it's, a, it's a quarter rise. But say you had, and I'm going to come unstuck here, say you had uh, four in 100 women uh, developing something, a 24% rise <laughs> would mean that it was five in 100, basically. Mm. So a quarter of four is one. And so a rise of a quarter 
of four a rise to five. Because you're talking about an increased risk on a risk that's already there. Yeah, so you, you need to kind of really think about and what they've tried to do in this study, I, I had a look and they've stratified it between many, many different categories of people and then given this very broad overall risk increase. And I think even the researchers admitted their study couldn't prove cause and effect. So mm, Interesting. And also, I wonder if there's anything in, I don't know, I'm just thinking, but if you are a person who asks for HRT, perhaps you're experiencing symptoms of something and you're not feeling very well in yourself and you're looking for something to make you feel better. And the reason why you don't feel great could be because you have some sort of underlying health problem that might make you more at risk of developing dementia. That was pointed out mm. by, I think, by commentators at the time that, yeah, many of the more severe symptoms of menopause are also known risk factors for dementia. So so I'm picking that. It's, it's like when difficult. you see the studies that show that people who take lots of ibuprofen or lots of paracetamol are more likely to get cancer or whatever. But actually, if you're taking a lot of painkillers, that's probably because you're in pain mm. <laughs> because of another reason. Yeah, yeah, is a signal or mm. something. Anyway, it's a very complicated but interesting area um, and obviously got people talking. Interestingly, this has been something that's been going on for a, a long time. There seems to be also a, a group of or a school of thought that's not perhaps mainstream, mm. but a, a school of thought that seems to suggest that doctors need to look at menopause or certainly some kinds of menopause maybe as almost a neurological disorder um, because of such a high proportion of mental health problems in some patient groups. And this suggestion is often met with quite hefty scepticism from mainstream doctors on social media. Because that would mean that a large proportion of the entire female population have a neurological disorder? I don't quite understand how it works okay. because does that mean that if you don't the have ones symptoms. that don't have the symptoms are just very brave? <laughs> yeah, probably. Know. Anyway, before we go any further, I, th I think it's important that we talk to someone who really knows their stuff, a professor who's spent their time searching through all of the literature on this, all of the medical studies on this, to come up with a definitive answer. Joining us now is endocrinologist Professor Anissa Mukherjee, a specialist in treatment of the menopause and HRT. And Anise, thanks so much for finding some time to join us today. We're talking about research into HRT and its links with dementia. And this is something that's interested you for quite some time, isn't it? Absolutely, because during the menopause transition, many women develop symptoms that they often describe as brain fog. And many of my patients will say to me, I think I'm getting dementia. I can't remember things. I'm foggy. You know, I'm putting my keys in my fridge, et cetera, by mistake and then realising. And so there is a great interest to see if there is a link, but also in particular to see if there's anything that we can do, if there is a link, to you know, reduce risk of progression or even you know, to be able to prevent dementia. Clearly, it's an emotive area. Of course, we want to prevent dementia. And there's a lot of research on this, but unfortunately, teasing out actual facts from the research that has been published to date is really difficult. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned brain fog. There's there's the recent case of TV presenter Fiona Phillips, who at a very young age has, has been diagnosed with dementia, early onset dementia. 
And I believe in her case, the initial symptoms that turned out to be dementia were mistaken for that brain fog of the menopause, which must have made some pretty worrying reading for a lot of women. Absolutely. I mean, it's that's a devastating case because Fiona Phillips is so young, but Fiona also has a very strong family history of dementia. And we do know that there are genes that predispose to dementia. Um, and, you know, the, the message for most women is that dementia doesn't normally occur at such a young age. It may start evolving at, uh, at, in midlife, but it doesn't normally present at a young age. And the vast majority of women who present with brain fog during the peri to post-menopause uh, transition um, these symptoms are not linked to dementia for the vast majority of women. And the isolated case reports can be really, really upsetting. And of course, for the individual and their family, it's devastating. But it shouldn't make women as a whole panic unless they've got any particular risk factors, in which case they should see their doctor. But I, I would emphasize that brain fog in the perimenopause for most women is not a symptom that is associated usually with you know, early onset dementia, but there are other very common causes. For example, the fluctuating hormones themselves can result in poor sleep, fatigue. Being at a busy phase in life can result in overwhelm, anxiety, mood changes, and you know, sugar crushes. And all of those symptoms can cause people to have brain fog. And actually, I see brain fog in, in men and women of all ages is absolutely not linked to dementia or menopause. So, We've got to understand it's a, it's a non-specific symptom. That's what I was going to ask, Anise, because, I mean, sitting here and hearing you speak about the most common kind of brain fog complaints, and, and I'm like, yep, I feel all of those things, and I'm 32 and, and not yet menopausal. Are you putting your kitties in the fridge, Eve? Not that, but I do put them in funny places sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I won't go into more detail. I, um, do, I tend to have everything on, like, strings around my neck. <laughs> so I can't, stage, my I mittens on, <laughs> yeah, so I can't lose one. So I was going to ask you, how do we know whether these symptoms are anything to do with the menopause or just life? Well, that's the difficulty. It, it is very difficult. I think what we need to do if we develop any symptoms that are non-specific, and those include fatigue, overwhelm, anxiety, brain fog, I think it's important to try and kind of objectively look at if there are more obvious causes those symptoms we are all over committed in today's world so if you hit perimenopause and you're already over committed and then you stop sleeping and and you know you've got more tiredness because you're not sleeping etc etc it's like a perfect storm to give you a foggy brain um and so i think reflecting on whether there are causes for those symptoms and actually trying to mitigate trying to do things that will help think it's always back to basics it sounds very boring but things like downtime trying to do regular movement and exercise simple stress management techniques good sleep hygiene you know a healthy balanced diet to, to reduce your sort of sugar levels you know surging and dipping all of these things can really help the other thing to say is if you're really concerned health anxiety will drive brain fog so it's really important to see your doctor if you have symptoms that are concerning you and of course i mean hrt can play a role in in reducing that exhaustion from not sleeping and discomfort from hot flushes and such like and and also low mood hrt is licensed to treat all of those things nice recommends it to treat all of those things doesn't it so so it could play into helping with 
brain fog, etc. Hundred percent. I mean, if a woman is struggling with those symptoms and they escalate during that perimenopause phase, HRT is the first line treatment to help with those symptoms. And if you start sleeping better, if you're having less flushes and sweats that are, you know, making you feel uncomfortable and disrupting your sleep or making you feel stressed during the day at work or with your other roles, if we can if we can reduce those symptoms with with hormone therapy, then that will help you know, that individual woman get back on track. It's also important to be aware that brain fog is one of the menopause symptoms that we, we know can be associated with that menopause transition. And for the vast majority of women, once again, those symptoms do spontaneously lessen over time once that roller coaster of hormones calms down. So even without treatment, ultimately those symptoms will settle. But treatment can definitely smooth those symptoms out. Mm. The reason we're talking about HRT and and dementia today is because there was a a recent large study that looked at the link, a big observational study, uh, a Danish study, wasn't it? Mm. And uh, it found this 24% increased risk among women who took HRT 18 years later or something to develop dementia. What did you think about that study, Anise? Well, it's an observational study. It's a big and it's well-conducted observational study. But observational studies can only show associations. They can't demonstrate a cause and effect. So they might find one group has a greater risk. And by the way, those statistics sound dramatic. But presenting statistics, you can actually make things look like nothing or like something very dramatic in the way you present statistics. Because absolute numbers are very small. So it's a very dramatic headline, but actually the detail is that one, cause and effect is not proven, and two, the types of hormone therapy that we used in that study were absolutely types really not using at all today. Mm. So it doesn't really tell us any more about our modern formulations of HRT, either negatively or positively. And so it's an observational study. It's old-fashioned HRT. The association that's been found may be due to other factors. And the HRT may just be there, but there's other factors like the demographics of the individuals in each group, which I think the authors did also acknowledge that there were differences other than HRT in, in the group, the non-HRT, HRT group. So it doesn't really tell us anything new, to be perfectly honest. And we have other studies that have shown similar effects. We've seen other studies that have shown opposite effects with more modern forms of HRT. I was, I was going to say that when the story came out, lots of the menopause campaigners on social media put up examples of studies that had shown a dramatically decreased risk. Uh, there was a big study that, that appeared in the, the Davina McCall documentary that showed this 73% decrease in dementia among uh, users of HRT. But apparently that's not all it, it seemed as well. Well, I mean, similarly, when you look at observational studies, there's often a bias in terms of who's included in that study. So the American study included people who had been given health insurance. And I don't really know personally how health insurance in America works. But I did know that at that time, and it was an observational study, women who had any history of cardiovascular disease or any common risk factors which we commonly associate with a higher risk of dementia in later life, those people would have been excluded. And it's really difficult to make any inferences from observational studies. So I think you can't dismiss one observational study because you don't like the results. But Mm. actually proclaim another observational study that may have similar uh, flaws 
and say that that one is correct. And I think we have to look at all the overall data. And there are other studies that have looked, not looked at long-term outcomes, but looked at what we call surrogate endpoints or surrogate markers, looking at things like plaques in the blood vessels that might indicate a future reduced risk without demonstrating a future reduced risk. And, and again, you know, surrogate endpoints don't demonstrate an actual reduced risk long-term. So at the moment, although there's lots of very interesting work going on, and there is a suggestion from some of the studies that those women with a much higher risk of future dementia, in particular those carrying certain genetic predispositions, certain genes, there may be a role for HRT in those women. And when we say may, that doesn't mean everyone should go out and take a treatment because it might help. It, it, we have to conduct proper high quality academic research in randomised trials and we just don't have that information yet. Would you ever be able to do a, a randomised trial that looked for dementia risk among other things? I mean I, I suppose you'd have to have a group randomised and then keep following up with them every five years or something. Oh yeah and, and, and they take a long time and there have been randomised trials in the past but unfortunately most of the ones we've got are using the old-fashioned hormone replacement regimen, which includes synthetic progestogens and oral estrogen. And so they're already out of date. So it's just really difficult because we, I mean, we now have you know, more modern regimens and hopefully those regimens will be here, you know, for the long haul, because I think we do know a lot more about tailoring HRT to individual needs now. And we know a lot more about risks and benefits of different types of HRT. But it costs a lot of money to do a long-term randomised trial. And so that requires funding and it's not easy, you know, not easy to get funding. I think there is a real interest and appetite to do it. And so I think it will happen, but it hasn't happened yet with modern forms of hormone therapy. Dr Mukherjee, do you think that you've obviously worked with HRT for a long time? Is your suspicion that there are benefits to HRT that are perhaps beyond what we know to be true, as in, you know, not just simply controlling symptoms for the menopause? Do you think that there there may be potential for, for other benefits? Well, we, we know a lot about the benefits. We do know that, for example, with bone health, HRT absolutely increases bone density. But the thing is, short-term HRT for symptoms, you know, five to 10 years or two to 10 years, we know the risks are very low for most women, not all women, but for most women, the risks are very low. Um, and in particularly younger women starting HRT for symptoms when they're in the perimenopause, risks in younger women are very low. But what we know is as women get older, their bodies change, their blood vessels change, everything about them changes. Risks of all diseases start to increase as we get older. So with long-term treatments, there are also risks, but risks are individual. Some women will have no risks and be able to stay on HRT, you know, lifelong, and it benefits them. Other women could take HRT but can't tolerate any formulation. Some women desperately, you know, want HRT, but they have serious health risks like, you know, estrogen receptor positive cancers that um, their oncologists have told them they can't take HRT safely. So it, it just becomes very individual and we need to focus more on personalized care, individualized care for women when it comes to ma managing menopause, rather than trying to find a one-size-fits-all band-aid that's going to fix everyone, because that isn't how medicine works. It isn't how healthcare works. I, I, was, I was talking to a friend the other day, I think she's just 50, and she said to me, 
she didn't know anyone who wasn't on HRT in her friendship group. Hmm. Does that surprise you, Anise? Well, not not at the moment, because I think there's been so much publicity in the pandemic, particularly because of the rise in information spreading through social media, which should be a really positive thing. And I think more women being able to access hormone replacement therapy for symptoms in the menopause transition, that is a really good thing because it keeps women in the workplace. You know, if they're struggling in the workplace without it, men don't go through menopause. So if you're a woman, you're doing great in work and then menopause hits you. You're competing with with male peers who don't go through the menopause. And that's why we lose women from the workplace, women with incredible skills. And we need more female leadership. So, And that's just one example. So there's lots of other examples why it's really, really important. You know, care roles, just functioning in the family, feeling well. And also, if you're not feeling well, you won't be able to exercise. You won't be able to focus on good nutrition. So, you know, all of those lifestyle approaches, you won't be able to implement. So hormone replacement therapy should be being used more. But what we don't want is for women to take HRT, not tolerate it, which many women don't, or get side effects from it, and then feel terrified because they can't take it and they think they're going to get dementia because that's not actually a reality. The the reality is we should be using HRT to help women's symptoms. And we don't have evidence that it prevents disease with the exception of risks with osteoporosis. It definitely reduces risk of osteoporosis. But, you know, there are other lifestyle approaches that are probably more powerful than hormone replacement therapy for many women. But there are exceptions. There are women who have established osteoporosis, high risk factors in terms of their family history. So it's just all so nuanced. And when I try and explain the definite benefits to bone health. Everybody wants to take HRT because they think, well, you know, I'll prevent osteoporotic fractures when I get older. But there are also risks to long-term treatment and the HRT will only help with your bones while you're on it. So women at high risk who take HRT for bone health, if they have to stop HRT, they will need other treatments. And so it's all quite nuanced and it's quite difficult to kind of explain to women, you know, en masse, you know, in a headline, for example. Yeah. Yeah, tell me about it. Professor Anise Mukherjee, thanks so much for finding time to talk to us and, and being, as always, the voice of reason. My pleasure. It's interesting what Dr Mukherjee was saying about how, you know, lots of women want to take HRT to prevent osteoporosis in older age. I was actually thinking, yeah, why wouldn't why wouldn't you? Well, it's about the balance of risks and benefits. Mm. It was a bit like during the pandemic, the paediatrician's reluctance to authorise the vaccine Mm. for younger and younger age groups because once you get down to under 20 years old the risk of covid is so low low that any benefit from the vaccine might not outweigh that kind of one in a million chance Mm. of the heart problems that were caused by by the vaccine Mm. i believe Mm. so it's a similar thing so at the moment if you're at high risk of osteoporosis you can be prescribed hrt for it according Mm. to nice Mm. but if you're not then I think the risks of that long-term use to use it as a preventative measure, the risks would outweigh the known benefits of doing that. Menopause campaigners also talk about the benefits for heart health of HRT. There's quite a lot of noise about heart disease. Yes, there is. And and that's a similar thing, isn't it? Because there's studies showing that it increases the risk and also studies showing that it reduces the risk. I think that there's more 
evidence on that we should have asked Anise because she really is the expert on that mm. aspect of it we know that uh, and I know this because I, I was talking to her just the other day about this in younger women when they have premature menopause their heart risk goes up dramatically mm. so a lack of estrogen in younger years increases heart risk and giving HRT reduces that risk and there's also benefit I think in terms of heart health that you see when women are given HRT during the perimenopause phase, mm-hmm. um, so the, the the years before the actual menopause. But I think it then becomes a neutral thing after about the age of 50. So there's no further benefit to heart health because the heart risk goes up dramatically mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. Uh, around 50 for women. Because women are, are much less uh, likely to have heart attacks and mm-hmm. strokes and things like that in younger years. Men are much more likely, uh, but that levels out at the point of menopause, so around 51 years of, of age right. for women. So it is so nuanced, and it's very that's why it's so important to have conversations that are in depth and not kind of you know reduce everything down to a two line tweet. Yeah, I mean, you, you need to be able to trust your doctor really and trust that they're giving you, you know, the absolutely best advice. Often, I think the story is that people feel that they're not getting that from their GP. God, when um, I get there, I'm going to be packed with knowledge. You really will. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk to one doctor who does regularly prescribe HRT, Dr. Naomi Potter, who worked with Davina McCall on her book on the menopause, Menopausing, I think it's called, and also runs a busy private practice which offers menopause treatments. Dr. Potter, thanks so much for finding some time to join us today. We're talking about HRT and and potential wider benefits, or or that's what I'd really like to talk to you about. If you're prescribed HRT on the NHS, if you look at the NICE guidelines, it's it's a sort of narrow set of of indications, as you might expect, because that's the way that NICE works, isn't it? But with your patients, do you tell them and do you feel that that women should know that there could be wider benefits to HRT say in prevention of long-term illnesses in in midlife and and older age? We discuss the risks and benefits with everybody and it's so individual and everybody's own as well as their own actual risks and benefits they have their own perceived risks and benefits and it's so different for absolutely everybody and I think it it depends on your kind of life experience if you've seen somebody especially kind of somebody close to you uh, suffer from terrible osteoporosis for example and they might only have been in their 60s and they're crumbling over and falling over and and breaking hips and and being really incapacitated by it then one of your one of your aims or objectives would be to not experience that yourself and so you might then choose to take HRT for the bone protection benefits. Whereas if you've seen somebody who, or you've got a a strong family history of breast cancer and you think for whatever reason you do not want to increase your risk at all or even take a small risk that you might increase your risk, then that might prevent you from choosing HRT as a route for you. And so we do, we absolutely do discuss the possibility of HRT being 
potentially protective. Um, but we discuss the risks and benefits with with everyone and everyone has a different take on it. One of the reasons we're talking about this today is because there was an alarming study that was published a few weeks back that suggested this rise in dementia risk among HRT users. And lots of people pointed out all the biases and problems with that, that study. And then there are other studies that show a reduced risk among HRT users. And these are all, again, observational studies. Is it something you discuss with patients, the dementia thing? I mean, they must ask you. Absolutely. And we discuss it in in this kind of wider context is that the data that we have is not good enough for us to prove causality uh, either way. So we can't say that HRT will protect you from dementia and we can't say that HRT will increase your risk of dementia because we just we just don't know. But everybody's worries are slightly different. But yeah, we talk about all of the risks and the benefits with everybody because you have to. And most patients are clued up on it. They come in and say... I'm aware of the breast issue or I'm aware of what's been going on in the news with dementia issue, but I still, you know, I want to discuss that with you further or, you know, this is this is the decision that I've made based on what I've read and, and then you can discuss it with them further. Most people now kind of are aware that we don't have the answers to everything. We're seriously lacking, you know, long-term solid randomized control trials and proper data. Um, but I mean, hopefully it will come. But at the moment, we can we can only really work with what we've got. Dr. Potter, do you think that it's justified to be prescribing HRT more widely on the NHS? So, for um, for instance, for potential benefits for brain health, etc. We do not know for sure. Um, we cannot say that HRT protects from dementia. We can't say that. That is not a clinical indication. Mm. You know, it's not one of the reasons why we would say you should have HRT. But the, the vast majority of women will experience symptoms. Mm. About 87, 88% of women will experience significant menopausal symptoms. And so we discuss with patients, you know, HRT may well help with your symptoms. 87% is, suffer significant symptoms. That's, that's yeah, higher they have, than I thought it was. Yeah. And I suppose, again, what your definition of a significant symptom would um, be open to interpretation. But um, even, you know, hot flushes and night sweats, People joke about them and, and, you know, it's a long-standing joke, but actually they're really debilitating, mm. very embarrassing. They can disrupt your sleep and it is significant going through the menopause. Mm. Um, but it's only really recently that it's become, you know, more widely appreciated. Another thing that's talked about is the heart protection that might be provided by HRT. So, and that's quite a, a nuanced picture, isn't it? Does taking HRT uh, reduce risks of heart attacks? What we understand is that if you take HRT in the perimenopause and early menopause, then your estrogen protects blood vessels. So it keeps them elastic and supple and um, affects cholesterol metabolism. So your, your cholesterol levels are lower. And so a heart attack is caused by a, a change to those blood vessels and fatty plaques are being laid down. And what using HRT in that perimenopause and early menopause phase does is it, it protects those vessels. Using HRT in older women, so women who have been lacking estrogen for much longer, is not thought to do the same. So it's, it's contextual. It depends on when that HRT is taken 
and for how long it's taken and also what type of what type of HRT is taken. The estrogen through the skin, what we call the transdermal HRT, is thought to be better than even taking estrogen orally. Could there be an argument then for women in the perimenopause stage taking HRT even if they didn't suffer very severe other symptoms to benefit heart health. Do- no, absolutely. I mean, and that is that is hotly debated. So we don't have guidelines to say that at the moment. So the guidelines don't say that non-symptomatic women should be offered HRT for heart or heart health or brain health or bone health. That's not what the guidelines say at the moment. But it is something that we have on our radar, you know, to think should, you know, should we be offering it to everyone? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because it has much more far reaching consequences, Mm. you know, let alone the cost. (laughs) Um, And we're already very short in supply of HRT. So there's lots of things to consider when when addressing that question. Well, Dr. Naomi Potter, thanks very much uh, for finding some time to talk to us. It's a, a pleasure. 87% of menopausal women have significant symptoms. I'm just really... Do you know what? I get what she means by it depends what you call significant. I Mm. think that 87% figure is the people that get the symptoms. But I do think there is an underplaying of these kinds of symptoms in research and how Mm. bad they are. Like, just think about how frustrating it is on a hot night that you can't sleep. Yeah, well, I but I wonder whether that underplaying is actually maybe partly the fault. I don't want to use the word fault, but I can't think of another word. That women themselves probably underplay it because women. Well, we know that women to are told to to you know put, put up, up and shame. shut up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know, I mean, it's I've had very frustrating conversations with male researchers mm. who uh, seem quite dismissive of, say, the, the severity of, of symptoms of, of things like tamoxifen, which, mm. which can cause a premature menopause when it, it's a drug that's given mm. to women after breast cancer. And there's an idea that you could give it to women to prevent breast cancer if they're high risk, but many women don't want to take it because mm. it, it makes you have a kind of artificial menopause. And research has been done that shows that the actual number of these kinds of symptoms are roughly the same in the placebo group as in the mm, drug group, which leads these, unfortunately, male researchers yeah. to say, well, these women are just, uh, you know, they just need to exercise more, etc. And it sounds if, terrible. <laughs> I wonder if part of it is the generation who the research was um, conducted on, because is there something in the fact that maybe two generations above me when women didn't really work or a very small proportion of women worked and so their day was kind of making sure the house is fine I don't know what women did Um, (laughs) (laughs) domestic stuff Um, I thought there was a big movement now to kind of reclaim that on TikTok Um, (laughs) and you know perhaps it, it was seen as any symptoms that were disruptive to daily life weren't that important because women didn't have to go out to work like men did and do proper things and and they could just sit on their their chaise long and fan themselves when they felt a bit warm but also I wonder if I don't know I think it's very complicated how we define symptoms and how women's symptoms are I don't know I don't know I I think you're generalizing there probably you know I think I'm not sure whether you know 100 years ago women were just tending to the house <laughs> i'm not sure if that's based in fact no, no but maybe it's the, it's the assumption, feminist it's credentials assumption. go down I, I think what i'm saying is quite a feminist principle oh, is it? I, yes i'm i'm saying that women have to do a lot and yes cope with a lot and yes 
therefore their symptoms should be taken seriously but perhaps they are taken especially more seriously midlife. now especially, especially in midlife, midlife but perhaps yeah. they're being taken more seriously now because there is now an understanding that women have part of my french shit to do Yes. And aside from that, something else that, that keeps on getting mentioned is the lack of research. And why? Mm. Why is there a lack of research? You know, I mean, this is this is something that everyone's going to go through mm. a large proportion. Well, sorry, half the population are going to go through a large proportion uh, are going to get affected badly. And why is there a lack of research? Because I mean, that's it's bonkers. Ne- because it's because women have been on their chaise launches. Uh... <laughs> Not doing anything. No. <laughs> no, but I think because of the the way that society used to be in terms of women's roles, I think their ability not to be anything that's kind of compromised their ability to be able to to participate in their daily life perhaps wasn't seen as important years ago when research was being taken. Mm. Well, I think the message is, uh, if you're worried about not being able to take HRT for any reason, if you've had breast cancer, for instance, or it doesn't agree with you, Mm. I wouldn't worry too much. It's not going to either go either way, preventing, uh, causing dementia. People that that make a lot of noise about this are labouring a point that Mm. really isn't that based in science. You're probably going to get dementia anyway. Well, if you're lucky enough to live that long and not die of a heart attack. Exactly. Or I'm something sorry, else. but that is the unfortunate truth. What is it? One in two people? No, one in three? Cancer. How many of us? It's one in two people to get cancer. So it's going to be either cancer and then I think it's one in... Yeah, but we can cure cancer now. Depends on the type. True. True. Do you have a chaise long? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should get one. Stop me thinking about all of these ways that I'm probably going to die. I think, yeah, I think you need to go and sit mm-hmm. down on it. Fan yourself. <laughs> And plan on uh, plan on uh, marrying a very rich man. I was going to say I am the rich man, but I can't oh, do Cher. it like Cher did it. Oh, that's all we've got time for this week on Medical Minefield. You can read all about this subject and all the latest health news in the mail on Sunday this weekend, which you can consume in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the wonderful mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>